Good morning. It is a glorious day, isn't it? It is absolutely awesome. It's good to be with you. And uh, I'm, I tell you right now, I'm getting giddy about this next series. First um, John, I'd like to go ahead and invite you to turn to First John, the epistle of 1 John. If you don't know where it is, it's right before Second John. Right, so very end of the New Testament, you're going to find it before. If you go to Revelation, you've gone too far. Please don't say we say it all the time. Please don't say Revelations. It's Revelation. There's no S. One Revelation. Jesus Christ is Lord. There it is. All right. So First John, we're going to dive into that. Please open up the Word of God this morning to First John. As you do that, I want to tell you a quick story. I grew up where I would often with my friends, um, some of my neighbors, they had these little 50cc mini bikes that you would just just do all kinds of crazy stuff with. We would jump stuff and just, you know, I grew up in a place where if you double dog dared anybody to do anything, you did it. Anybody else grew up in that kind of place? All right. And so we would just do whatever. We would jump. One time we jumped a 50cc um, bike. I didn't tell the story in the first service because I think my mom listens to the first service. So we jumped a 50cc mop, uh, motorbike, little dirt one just as far as we could into a lake. We lost that 50cc motorbike um, and uh, couldn't ever really get that out. And we did all kinds of stuff. Helmets did not exist right if you were smart occasionally you would strap a pillow on your back that was about all that you had long story short I enjoy motorbikes now and so even when I lived in Kentucky my friend had a couple of uh, BMW dual sports and so I'd always jump on that we'd cruise around through the uh, back roads of Kentucky and what I started to recognize is these were, these were big BMWs. These were big bikes and, um, with the bags and everything on the back. And as you're cruising down the road, you'd pass other people on motorcycles. And when you pass one on a motorcycle, right, you're right here. And this is what everybody does when they see somebody else on a motorcycle. They give you a two-finger wave, right? It's like you're in the cult. You know what I'm talking about? Like, if you own a Jeep, I've driven a, a friend of mine, he has a Jeep, I've driven that around. If you're in a Jeep and you pass a Jeep, they, a Jeep Wrangler or something like that, they automatically wave. You're in the cult, right? I should, probably shouldn't say cult. You're in the exclusive club. Um, and so all of a sudden you end up doing that and you're going and you're waving and you're doing all this stuff. And even when I, had a, I bought a Buell 500 a while back and uh, I'm cruising that when I'm here in Michigan and people would wave. I was still cool enough to be waved to. And I was like, I, people like me. You know, I felt kind of good about it. I felt people liked me besides just my wife. And so it was a cool thing for me. Well, lately, um, I got something from my buddy, a little uh, Honda Grom 125cc. And I, I don't drive it very, very far. I call it a BB, a Baldwin bike. You don't really want to take it on anything else and because it's not that big. And every, you know, I, I got it on the very first time, and I, I saw a motorbike coming. I was excited. I was like, hey, like I was waving. They didn't wave. <laughs> I've probably passed 30 motorcycles on that little bike. Not one of them has waved to me. Not one. I'm no longer in the cult because the bike's not big enough. And I call it a motorcycle, but you know, those, those Harley people, very cult-like, you know, and, and, and like you got it, right? That, that's the way it works, and it's a lot of fun to laugh about and think about. But I'm driving this thing around, and nobody will wave to me whatsoever, and so now I feel lonely, and I should might as well just walk to work. And, and I think about it, and I go, man, 
That's what John was doing in 1 John. That's what John, same author of the Gospel of John, same author as Revelation. There's sometimes some debate which John was it, and this was John, son of Zebedee. I'm convinced of it. It's roughly 85 to 95 years after the birth of Jesus Christ, so you're looking at probably 55, 60 years after his death and his resurrection. Here's John writing this, doing this amazing thing, and letting them know, hey, listen, right now there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of difficulty going on, and a lot of you guys, um, you're stepping away. What he's recognized is you're stepping away from faith. You're stepping away from the church. And a lot of people are feeling alienated. And a lot of people aren't feeling as though they really have relationship with God. Uh, here's some, a couple of surveys I've read this week. These are both, sometimes you read surveys, you read studies that they've done with thousands of people. And you recognize later on that it was done in like 1972. These were done since COVID. Did you know there's a pandemic? Anybody heard about that one? This is since the pandemic. Of people who were attending church prior to the pandemic, one-third have not attended since, neither live or online. One-third. Came out this last week or so. One-third. Now, Chapel Point is not the normal church. Can I just say that? You're a bunch of, no, you're a bunch of weirdos. Um, and I'm a weirdo with you. There's an amen. Right? This is not normal. And what God is doing now, God is blessing. And it's such a joy to be a part of it with you. But a third of people haven't even come back. In fact, you start thinking about church dropout, right? Um, at some point, 64% is the number. People will drop out at some point. 64%. And I'm going to tell you part of the reason why and part of what John was speaking about. Part of the reason why is because for generations in this country, parents have tried to hand their kids faith rather than teach them what it is to believe and to have faith. And it's more than just keeping a set of rules or a list or something like that. And so as a result, people are going, this isn't my faith. I, I've been trying to just do what I need to do because it makes my mom happy and Thanksgiving's a lot easier if I show up at church once a month than if I don't. So what's been happening? And right now, I'm telling you what's going to take place is that when you start looking at a third of the people who haven't returned online or in person, what's going to end up taking place is they're going to go, man, I don't, I don't need that anyway. Because then you start, you start studying, you start going, why are these people dropping out? Why are these people walking away from their faith? And I actually think it's probably pretty similar today as it was then. I think it's pretty similar because in the studies that there were conducted recently throughout COVID, one of the, some of the similarities that you find is that something, only like 7% of them read the Bible. That's a dismal number. And pretty much all of them said that they rarely prayed, and if they did, they felt that it was a chore, is what they're communicating, that it's something that they had to do. 
So it's, it's difficult to know what it is to be in a healthy relationship with God, to really intensify your faith, which John's going to be writing about. It's hard to do that when you're not spending time in the Word of God and you're not even praying because you feel it's this obligation that you have to do rather than being able to be able to speak with God, to hear from Him, to know His voice, to let Him push you forward in life. So all these people all of a sudden they feel isolated and they don't feel like they're really a part of anything. It's kind of like me with my little motorbike. Yesterday my son referred to it as a scooter. He is grounded. And you start going, what's going on then? And that's what we're going to find. Again, here's the author, 1 John. I'll give you uh, a lot of introduction today and then we're going to I was going to try to cover the entire first chapter not going to do that just the first few verses you're welcome anybody else grateful for that one so we're going to hit a lot of introduction today and I hope it'll help you out because here John is writing and he's jumping in he's writing from the uh, the area of Ephesus to all people who are believers to the church spe- specifically around that area yes um, he's going to be even more specific in 2nd John and in 3rd John in terms of whom he is writing but here he is and he's pointing out that what we're, what they're seeing is the second and third generation believers are stepping away from God and they're stepping away from the church once again because they're maybe their families maybe their parents told them what to believe rather than helping them to discover what to believe and so the second generation and the third generation people are walking away from the church. In fact, Matthew 24, 12 says it pretty well. Matthew 24, 12, he sa- it says, And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And they started finding out that the love of many for God, for Jesus, was growing cold. And this, even though this is written by Matthew, I think it really conveys the sentiment of what John was trying to communicate I think it's interesting that also John is the same person who wrote the Gospel of John and also Revelation, as I said previously. And it reminds me of Revelation chapter 3, the letter to the seven churches when he's writing to Laodicea and about how their love had grown cold. And because their love had grown cold, all of a sudden they're stepping away from God. And it went quick. Happened fast. Anybody else feel like that things are crumbling around you especially when it comes to a culture of knowing God anybody else feel like it's crumbling fast so here all of this is taking place and he's writing to all these people throughout Asia Minor some of the themes that we see with 1 John um, light versus darkness, love versus hatred, truth versus wrong or truth versus error. These are themes that we start to see. And he's wanting to encourage a believer to stay true to what they believe, to keep being in fellowship with Jesus Christ. But too many have not been in fellowship with Jesus Christ. And all this is happening. And so there's this intensity that is coming out from John saying, what are you doing? Like, 
What's the church doing for so many people to walk away? Are you not teaching them about Jesus Christ? Like That's the one thing I want everybody, whoever has any type of association with Chapel Point, to understand. I want you to know what it is to experience, to be in a relationship with Jesus for yourself. Don't take your parents' word for it, your grandparents' word for it. Step into it yourself. Know what that is. Young people today, I don't care who you are, Come to know Jesus for yourself. And that's not what's taking place. John's writing about it. And he's like, man, all these people are stepping away. Don't you need to evaluate your life, what God has been teaching you and what you've been doing to have so many people stepping away because the world and, and, and this right here and the world now, it's very, very similar. The world, part of the reason they were stepping away was growing. The world was going hostile toward them very quickly. Because here's the thing, when you accept and understand who Jesus Christ is, it's going to naturally push you toward living in a different way. And people started feeling convicted and they're like, hey, wait, who are you to make me even feel like I should live, live differently? Who are you to even come around me to make me feel like that I should be speaking differently, that I should be living out life differently, that I should be in relationships with other people differently? Who are you to think that? And so the world became hostile toward the people of the church. Anybody feel like that today? Yes? We know we like class participation. So all of this stuff is unfolding very, very quickly. And all of this is taking place for us as well. So first John is big. And I'll tell you, I... I there are a couple of you have been asking, like, hey, when, how long is this next series? I have no idea how long this next series is. Usually I'll map it out. Hey, it's going to be eight weeks. It's going to be ten weeks. It's going to be four weeks, whatever it is. I have no idea. Things are changing so quickly. Things are happening so fast. I don't know, but we'll get there when we get there, okay? This is the one thing I promise you every week you're going to hear the word of God. That's all I can tell you. That's about all I got. So we're going to dive into this as best we can but as we do so, I want to pray. And I'd like to invite you uh, to do me the joy and the honor of taking a knee with me, a physically able, as we call out to God. So will you join me in prayer? God, it's too rare that we, we pal before you. And God, I can't help but to think that one of the reasons so many people were walking away from you and they're still walking away today from the idea and the notion of who you are, the understanding of who you are, is because we think we can stand on our own rather than needing to bow before a God, the one true God. And so, Lord, today I pray and I ask that we would have the humility to not only bow physically, but to bow spiritually before you, to, to humble ourselves, to know that you're perfect and that we're not, to know that your salvation and joy, that you are freedom and forgiveness. So God, take your scripture, take your word, and put it into the depth of our soul.
May we hunger and thirst to know you more intimately, to know you more personally, God. And as your church, may we always be willing to bow before you as our Savior. We call upon your name. We call upon your name. Amen. Amen. We may stand. So uh, we just came out of a series, the Gospel of John, speaking about the seven what? Anybody know? Seven I am's. Well done. Right? So everybody, you've got different I am's. I am the gate. I am the, right? You start thinking, I am the gate. I am the, the good shepherd. I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? I'm the light of the world. Um, I'm the resurrection. And I am the vine. You've got all these I am's. Everybody have a favorite I am, I hope. So on count of three, just call out your favorite I am. Just say, boom, whatever it is. One, two, three. Awesome. So good. Like, I, I want you to call it out. I want you to go tell other people how you understand Jesus because that's what, what John was doing. He took these I am's, these metaphors about helping us to understand who Jesus is. And John, surprisingly, not really, but you look at it, and the epistle of 1 John, what he does is he's helping us to understand and even more so about who Jesus is. And this is big. And I think part of what he's doing is he's letting the people know, listen, if, if so quickly, your second generation, third generation, if these people are stepping away, it's because they don't fully understand who Jesus is. You've done a poor job teaching about who Jesus is. And so I put it there. If you get your notes, and there's also an app, and we put the notes on there, et cetera, so you can always go back and look at this. But get out those notes right now, and I want to walk through different things that we find John describing Jesus as being. And the reason I'm telling you about it, I wrote it down for you, but I would still want you to write something. I want you to start, and this is just for you personally. I want you to, as I walk through each of these, kind of grade yourself. Do you truly understand Jesus as being this or this or this? This is important. Now you got to know what you believe. You got to know what matters to you most. So when we look, some of the things that we find, 1 John 1.1 1, 1, and also even in 1 John chapter 2 verse 14, Jesus is the word from the beginning. Now this is Genesis chapter 1. And also, surprisingly, in the gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, especially John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, it doesn't change. Jesus is the word. And from the beginning, if you're going, well, I don't know what that means for Jesus to be the word, go back to January. There's, I, I preached in detail about what it means for Jesus to be the word. And so here, the same language, you can even go to Proverbs 18 and other places where it's talking about Jesus being the word, Jesus being what? From the beginning. And it's the, one, it's the first thing he does. He calls it out. He's like, guys, Jesus is the word. Why aren't you teaching the word? Here's, here's John describing who Jesus is. So do you believe that Jesus is the word and that Jesus is also from the beginning? That's Father, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a trinity. From the beginning. Yes, Jesus stepped physically on this earth 2,000 years ago, but he's always been. He's always been. So do you believe that Jesus is the word and from the beginning? That's a big question for you. Another thing that he does in 1 John and 
It's, it's only five chapters, but here he is. He calls out 1 John 4, 15 and also 5, verse 5. Jesus is the Son of God. So he's giving another way of understanding who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. When Jesus started to acknowledge to the Pharisees, the religious leaders, when he was living here physically, and he started to acknowledge that he was the Son of God, that got him in a lot of trouble. Why? Blasphemy. Blasphemy. You're like, oh, hold up. I mean, you can say that you're a prophet, I guess. Maybe you can get away with that. Questionable. Who are you, Isaiah, Moses? What is it? But to say that you're the son of God. Got him in a lot of trouble. Do you believe Jesus is the son of God? Another is 1 John 2. And we look at 1 John 2, 22 and 5, 1. Jesus, this is how John describes him. He's a propitiation for our sins, meaning he's the substitution for our sins. Do you believe that you're a sinner? That you're in need of grace and forgiveness and love? And as a result of that, God knew that you couldn't do it on your own. And so he said, you know what? I'm going to allow my son to come physically to die and to, to take up your, your sin because being a just God, something has to pay the price for that sin. And so I'm willing to allow it to be my son, Jesus Christ, for anybody who professes in him. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, the substitution for our sin, the satisfaction for our sin. It's another thing that John speaks about in this very, I mean, I'm telling this, this God, this epistle is so just, the concentration of beauty and depth and richness is spectacular. Right? It reminds me, and I'll get into some other things in a second. I hope you're grading yourself. But it reminds me, when I was growing up, my mom would go and she would buy um, orange juice. And if we got orange, like, we just love that. It was like a big tree. And, but she would buy it concentrated in this can. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Right? People over 40 know what I'm talking about. All right? And uh, I, I, we would go, I'd get so excited because one time I didn't recognize that it was concentrated. And so I just let it melt. I started pounding this stuff. Oh, I didn't do well for the next few months. But it was concentrated. You would add like a gallon of water to one little thing of, of OJ, one little container. Well, that's to me, First John, it's concentrated. It's just this beautiful, like it's so rich and so sweet. And that's what John's doing here. So Jesus is a propitiation for our sin. A second, uh, a fourth thing, Jesus is from God. First John chapter four, verse two through three, he speaks very clearly, Jesus is from God. Do you believe that Jesus is from God? It's a big question. You need to look at that and go, okay, yes, Noah. Uh, another thing, first John three, five, that Jesus was without sin and also Jesus takes away sin. Jesus was without sin and also takes away sin. He stepped on this war, into this world as fully human, fully divine, without sin. God allowed him to do such so that he could be the substitution, propitiation for our sin. And then finally, First uh, John four fourteen. Uh, it tells us that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Do you believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world? Now this, I believe John's communicating this on purpose, of course. He's writing this letter. He knows that the second and third generation believers, they're stepping away because their faith was never really their faith. So he's letting them know, you better be teaching this stuff. 
Because if you don't believe in this, if you just believe he's the prophet, if you don't believe he's actually savior of the world, that he's just a good guy, if you don't believe that he's actually from God and that he was just born like anybody else and that he just hung out and, uh, and performed a couple of miracles here and there and did some fun things like that, that if you don't believe that he is the word and from the beginning, no wonder they're stepping away. They don't have faith. They have something called a convenience. And so he's letting them know this. I think they, when you start looking at the fact, here, here's John writing to the church, another struggle that they're having is that the society around them, the culture around them, was growing more hostile toward them. And so as that hostility was magnified, as that hostility was concentrated, as that hostility continued to grow, people were like, well, that's not my faith anyway. I'm out. Right, the very thing that has in our society over the last several decades going to church has been a benefit for people culturally. In the future, truly believe going to church will be a detriment to you socially. Job promotions and everything else. And if you don't believe, if you don't recognize that he is the son of God, propitiation for sin, that he is without sin, that Jesus is these things, and you're just like, God, oh, this is what my parents told me to believe, and you've never understood that for yourself, I, I would step away. Why, why, why would I be a part of something? I, please hear me out. Don't edit that one thing. But if, if I don't believe that Jesus Christ changes my life and that he provides freedom and hope and eternity for all people who profess in him, why would I give to something and be a part of something that is a detriment to me? But it's not a detriment because I believe he is the son of God and that he provides eternity and salvation for all who believe in him who can truly know freedom because they confess with their mouth and believe with their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, that I can do. So here's John, and he's wanting the believer to know joy. And that's right there, fill in. John wanted the believer to know joy regarding their faith. And he's going, man, one, they don't have faith, much less have joy because of their faith. And he's wanting people to understand that. Because they were allowing the circumstances around them to keep them from knowing who Jesus really was. In fact, this is how I would say it. If you don't write down anything else, please write this down. Please write this down. Type it on your phone, whatever you have to do. You must never allow the circumstances around you to keep you from the joy Christ has put within you. And they were allowing the circumstances around them to determine who they were and what they chose to believe in and when they would step away and when they wouldn't step away and they were allowing these circumstances to dictate so much of who they were and not allowing the joy of Christ to dwell within their hearts and to allow them to move forward so he communicates all this encouraging primarily he's encouraging them to walk in the light of Jesus to walk in the love of God to walk in truth 
You, you see that on there as well. You can just, he's gonna, you're going to see this theme coming throughout, to walk in light. He, he says, I am the light of the world, John chapter 8, verse 12. Well, now in the epistle, John's writing again many, many years later, and he's letting them know you need to continue, continually walk in light, to walk in love, and to walk in truth. This is what life is really about. And so he does that very thing. That's what's happening, and that's who John is writing to in 1 John. And so at this point, I finally get into the first verse. Are you ready for that? Will you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? Just covering a few verses. Don't worry. You will have lunch, if not dinner at least. 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. Now, here's the beginning. I've already called that out. So think John 1.1, 1, 1, think 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, think Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, think that, think Proverbs 18, all this. He's calling it out. It's the beauty of Scripture that over the course of thousands of years, it's all communicating and saying the same thing over and over. So wonderful, so amazing. And so now he's calling out, which we have seen. When John is speaking and using that pronoun we, what he's really communicating is he's speaking about those who have actually walked with Jesus, who have touched Jesus, who have been with Jesus. That's how he's communicating the we. And he's saying that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and have touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. And we have seen it. And testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship. Yes, if you've been around church at all, you hear the word fellowship and you automatically think the word koinonia. That's the original word. That's what it is. It's having an intimacy with God. It's having a personal relationship with God so that you too may have intimacy, a personal relationship, a deep abiding fellowship with us so that together you can stand, right? You don't think church matters a lot. Part of what church does is it allows you to have fellowship not only with God, but with other believers that you will stand with, that you will support, that you will guide and thrust forward toward Jesus Christ. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things. Why? So that our joy may be complete so that our joy may be whole so that our joy may truly be rich so that our joy may be real in our hearts this is the word of God you may be seated in the first few verses I just read for you especially uh, John first John chapter 1 1 through 3 in Greek they're actually one verse in Greek. And, and for us in English, that would make an absolutely horrible, grammatical, grammatically error-filled sentence. But theologically speaking, doctrinally speaking, it's beautiful because he's letting us know of the power and the richness of what it is for Jesus to be the word. For Jesus, who they have seen and touched, he is the word of life. 
And they're testifying to it. And then it says that we're proclaiming to that which is eternal life. They're proclaiming. And sometimes we cheapen that word to proclaim. We just think if we proclaim something, it means we state something. For you to proclaim something means that you truly, you you have stepped fully into that. And by stepping fully into that, you're declaring that to be truth and significance in your life. So they're proclaiming that very thing. John proclaiming the word of life and wanting them to understand fully who Jesus is. Now, part of the reason I wanted you to look at all the different ways that John classified and even spoke about who Jesus is is that you need to know that your understanding of Jesus, your understanding of Jesus, look at it right here, your understanding of Jesus leads to how you live for Jesus. Your understanding of Jesus, so that's why you need to look through those six, seven things that I called out to you that John was calling out, out from the area of Ephesus to all these different churches throughout Asia Minor. And he's calling it out and he's letting them know, man, your understanding of who Jesus is matters. Do you understand him to be the, the son of God, propitiation for sins, that he is truly blameless that without sin? Do you believe these things? Because your understanding of Jesus leads to how you live for Jesus. So if you just think he's a cool guy, You'll give up that relationship if, if, if it's not benefiting you. If you don't think it's getting you what you want, what you desire, what you really want to see happen in life, you'll give that up. That's one of the things I would encourage all of us to do is to start examining what is our understanding of Jesus? Do you see him as being... This guy who just kind of wanders around and helps you out and the purpose of who his life is just to give you what you want and to help you out with it. And so when you don't get what you want, you get upset with God. What's your, what's your understanding of Jesus? For too many people, your understanding of Jesus is that he's like a rigid military sergeant who like when you get something wrong, man, he's going to yell at you and get on to you and you're going to get in trouble no matter what. And so you've ripped every bit of grace and mercy and forgiveness out of understanding the beauty of Jesus Christ. My God is full of mercy and forgiveness. Amen. Do you really believe that? Because for me, that's kind of where I can fall. Right? I, I, I just, I have to be really careful. And I'm not saying I always do it well, but sometimes I, I can come across as, you know what's right, you don't do that. And I got to be careful. I remember we, my family and I, a couple weeks, we came back. Um, we went out west, of course, for a couple weeks. And um, we're coming back. We get in the car. One of the things that we did is we stopped, and my kids wanted, uh, a couple of my kids wanted a smoothie for lunch. And I made the mistake of not going in with them to get the smoothie. And they each got 20-ounce smoothies when their bladders are like maybe 10 ounces. And as all of a sudden, we're driving down the road. And there's six of us in a Chevy Traverse. We drove over 5,000 miles in a Chevy Traverse. It felt like 27 clowns in a Volkswagen Beetle. And we've got all of our luggage in there. I gave everybody, I was nice as a father. Everybody got to take one backpack full of clothes. And so we're all crammed in there and we're doing our thing. And when you have that many people in a car and it's quiet and you know they're not asleep, does anybody else get worried? Anybody? All of a sudden it got quiet. I was like, oh. And then I hear, pull over. It's everywhere. 
Like they, didn't, they had not even had one ounce of the 20 ounces. And it was all over the car. It spilled in the back row, went to the second row, on the back seat of the first row. My car smells like a giant smoothie. <laughs> so we're having to then pull over on the side of the highway. We didn't have enough towels and like we're the people who keep like our glove compartment full of napkins and we didn't have enough of them. 20 ounces of smoothie is a lot of smoothie. Amen. And now I feel like we're there. So we're pulling over and we have to pull off. We pull off at a place, maybe you've heard of it, Wall Drug, South Dakota. We pull off there in the land of tourist traps and we just, we stopped at a car wash. I'm pulling the mats out and I'm power washing them with the nozzle and everything else. And I looked at my kid who spilled the smoothie. I was like, were you not going to say anything? And I still remember this, and it messes with me because he goes, I knew I'd be in trouble. I was like, I so don't, I so don't want to portray that as being God. Because my God is full of mercy. My God is full of forgiveness. My God is full of kindness. My God is, did you know that Jesus is eager, eager to forgive you no matter what you've done in life. God is eager to forgive you. <laughs> Woo! Like, I don't think we get that. God is eager to forgive you, yet we know God can, what, redeem anyone from at Anytime. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you've done. He's eager to forgive you. He's eager to show mercy. He's eager to show grace. It doesn't matter what's happened in your life. And sometimes we're like, oh, you can't get it wrong. You know what? You can get it wrong, but you need to come before the throne of God, repent, and he celebrates with you because you know what it is to have fellowship, koinonia, with a forgiving and grace-filled God. That's what we need to share. And that's why I think the second and the third generation people that John's writing to, and he's writing to these churches and writing to these believers, like, what do you really believe? What do you really believe? And he's wanting them to know what it is to be in fellowship. He's wanting them to produce intimacy, to produce and to step in to fellowship with Jesus Christ. He recognizes, he sees a joy, and he's like, man, there's no way they have joy in their life. They're stepping away from the only thing that gives joy. And he sees it, and he's like, joy is found only in fellowship with God. That's the one thing you've got to recognize. Joy is found only in fellowship with God. And the whole world is trying. Here's a struggle, and this is my first sermon from last week. I kind of preached two sermons in one service, and um, this week, one sermon, maybe. And I look at it. And what we see is the world telling us what we believe. The world should not tell you what you believe. You know what tells you what to believe? The Word of God. And here's what the, here's what the Word of God tells me, is that Jesus is a great, great Savior. 
and that he loves all of his people and he wants us to, to tell, proclaim of his goodness and to have fellowship with him. So how do you find that type of fellowship, that type of joy? Right, I think about even um, King Solomon and the entire book of Ecclesiastes. It's letting us know, man, here's a guy who had absolutely, it goes over and over, read through it if you want to, and he had absolutely everything, but he had no joy unless he was in fellowship with God. Everything right there for him. And no joy unless he was in fellowship with God. So how is it that we can have fellowship? How is it that we can have joy in our relationship with God? So I want to I read for you a quote as I begin to conclude. Um, it's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. And uh, he wrote this a long, long time ago. I was able to go to where he preached, thanks to the church, a year ago, allowing us to, my wife and I, the opportunity to step away and to go visit. And um, This is what Spurgeon says, and it's so rich. And it actually gives language to something that God has been teaching me over the past, I, I would say several months, but I would say even over the past several years, he's been preparing me for this is what he says. He says, now, brethren, we don't talk cool anymore. Right? That's what he says. Though. Now, brethren, we have had fellowship with the Father. In order to have fellowship with anyone, there must be a concord of heart. You're going, what's a concord? Thought that was an airplane. Concord, a oneness of heart, a togetherness of heart. Beats the same, right? So in order to have fellowship with anyone, there must be a oneness, a concord of heart, a knitting together. Can two walk together? Can two people walk together in unison, side by side? It tells us, can two walk together unless they be agreed? They think the same. They act the same. They believe in the same. Can two walk together unless they be agreed? At the very, and that's what he says, at the very bottom of fellowship, at the foundation, at the roots of fellowship, there must be a likeness. Not, hey, we like each other, a likeness, a oneness, a unity. We must have like wishes and like desires. Like wishes, like desires. And as I'm thinking about like wishes, like desires, like that's unity, that's oneness. That's when you have fellowship. And what's happening is right now, the world has desires that are not the desires of God. And instead of coming humbly before God on their knees and saying, you know what? My desire is to know God and to serve him. 
We're saying, well, God must not be good because he's not giving me my desire. It's our responsibility to line up our desires with his desires. Like, if, if you truly believe what I'm saying right now, and it's biblical, okay? I've been walking through it. If you tr- your life will change today. Today, it will change. Um, John, he says it over and over, even especially in the gospel. And he's speaking about Jesus and Jesus. Uh, when you look at John 13 through 17, so much of 1 John, the epistle, is really recapping the teachings of Jesus in John 13 through 17. If you look at the gospel of John 13 through 17, it's a bunch of teaching from Jesus before he was arrested and crucified. I'm sure I'll get to those gospels, I mean, those chapters at some point. And so we look at this and here's 1 John and he's coming and he's communicating to these people and he's letting them know, man, don't you have, like if you want to have fellowship with God, you got to understand, you got to have like wishes, like desires. You got to be in one spirit with God and understanding who he is. And Jesus is always communicating in these gospels. You know what? My will is to simply bring glory to the Father and to do his will. Glory to the Father and do his will. And more and more in my life, I'm learning what God is preparing me and what he's teaching me is don't you understand it doesn't matter what you have just give me glory I walked him around yesterday afternoon I looked at my wife and we we're in the garage she's like honey I give it all up just get rid of all of it I just want to do the will of the father I just want to do the will of I'll give it all up don't need I don't need it she's like I'll buy your car I'll walk I've got a 125cc motorbike that nobody waves to me on give it all up and here was the theme that I think God just keeps reminding me of in life is that everything in the life of Jesus Christ was God's glory and God's purpose his glory his 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 purpose God's glory, God's purpose in every single thing. God's glory. God, you receive glory for everything, no matter what it is. And may your will, may your purpose be done. And you see that in the life of Jesus. And I think that's a lot of what John is communicating to these believers. He's like, listen, no wonder they're stepping away. They're not trying to bring God glory. They're not trying to to line themselves up with the desires and the wishes of Jesus Christ. They're trying to get Jesus to do what they want. They don't have genuine faith. Right now, would you say that your life is all about his glory and his purpose? His glory, his purpose, his glory, his purpose. God's glory, God's purpose. The world is desperate to see the difference. And so, God, we humbly come before you. May we be in likeness with you. May we be one in spirit. May we be the same in likeness and in desire. May we know what it is 
to not walk away from faith that really is not genuine, that really is not true, but may we know what it is to step more deeply into faith that is grounded in the fact that you are the Son of God, the propitiation of our sin, the substitution. God, I celebrate you. Jump into the hearts of every single person in this place right now. In Christ's name, amen.